0: The Wicked Smart Sports Guys is brought to you by SummexBatteries.com, the go-to website for all your battery needs. Summex Batteries carries a full line of super heavy-duty, ultra-alkaline, lithium, and button-cell batteries. Summex Batteries compares in quality to well-known national brands. And the best part, Summax Batteries are priced much lower than their competitors. Flashlights, remote controls, gaming controls, headphones, digital cameras, hearing aids, smoke alarms, whatever device you need a battery for, Summex has the best batteries at the best price for your device. You can order a 24-pack of AA or AAA heavy-duty batteries for only $5.99 or a 24 pack of ultra alkaline I do for all kinds of gaming and high tech devices at just $12.99. Guys, don't waste your time going to the grocery stores for overpriced batteries. You have enough to worry about shopping during the coronavirus and all this stuff. Just buy your batteries online, go to cellmaxbatteries.com and you can order today and use spawn code BOSTON, that's all uppercase, BOSTON, and save 20% off your entire order. Let's go on code BOSTON at checkout and say big today, cellmaxbatteries.com, C-E-L-L-M-A-X-Batteries.com, the official sponsor of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys podcast. Thanks, as always, to Dolly Dreams for the intro music. This week, we're talking baseball with friend of the podcast, Mark Chikaris. He writes about the Red Sox for Bo Sox injection and chatter of champions. He also hosts the Loaded and Land, uh, Loaded on Down podcast, which you can check out on iTunes. Mark, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, KJ. I appreciate it, and uh, great to talk to you again.
0: Okay, so, Mark, I want to start with this. Yesterday was the anniversary of... Of one of the best and most memorable, uh, heartwarming also I should say, red, regular season Red Sox games, certainly in my lifetime, the John Lester no-hitter against the Kansas City Royals, I'll just ask you to kick things off here, what do you remember about that game?
1: Well, you know, I remember uh, well going into it thinking it was an uneventful Monday night game against the Royals and uh, I sat down on my couch to watch the game obviously to enjoy it and uh beginning of a work week and everything else so you know I knew that I was probably going to do what I did every Monday baseball game you know during the week was probably uh, record it in some fashion and then probably watch it the next morning when I woke up uh, which I did end up doing and it was a nice uh, nice little surprise uh, the next day uh when i found out that he had, had thrown the no-hitter as deep as i got into the game i probably got into about the 6th but i had my kids were really really young uh my twin daughters were really young at that point uh they were just over a year old so any sleep i could get i was going to get <laughs> and uh but you know i i think the thing that stands out to me was how happy uh terry francona was Uh, After the you know after Lester had accomplished the feat and uh, you know everything he went through with uh, overcoming the cancer in um, I think it was what late late 2006 I believe when he when he got put on the DL or maybe it was 2005 I don't remember the exact year but just to have him come back and to you know win a World Series the year before essentially in his rookie year and then. You know, the next year to subsequently throw the no hitter. I think that just the timing of all of it, that three year or whatever it was window for John Lester, just lows to, you know, the lowest of the lows to the highest of the highs. And I think that was really special.
0: Yeah, I think it was late 2006 uh, because I do remember him come. He, the fact he did come back in late 2007 um, actually was when he returned to the field. And then, of course, this being so soon after that that he throws this no-hitter. That's what made it so special for a lot of people, including, obviously, Lester and Francona. Um, You know, a few things stand out to me about this game. Honestly, it was one of the most memorable games for me. Uh, You know, the the Royals, they really were wretched at the time. They were one of the worst teams in baseball. And I actually took the time to look this up. They were the the fourth-worst record in the AL at that point in the season. And the Red Sox had the most wins in baseball. So, I mean, it was set to be an easy win. Um, The play I remember most vividly, and I got to relive it yesterday, was that Jacoby Ellsbury catch in the fourth inning. And it was a play that really endeared me to Ellsbury and made him one of my favorite players for many years there. you know, In his prime, he really was spectacular. I love Jacoby Ellsbury. He was like a Jackie Bradley-level fielder, but he could actually hit. So, you know, people might forget, he finished second in MVP voting in 2011. And... I mean, I wonder, by the way, there's a little bit of a sidebar, but if the Red Sox looked at Mookie Betts and were worried his career might take a similar trajectory to what Ellsbury's has taken, because they're not too dissimilar, but we're getting a little off topic there. The catch by Ellsbury in the fourth inning was something I always remembered because if it wasn't for that spectacular defensive play, that no-hitter never happens. And I know it's a little silly to do this, but I'm always the person that's thinking about a no-hitter in, like, the third inning. So, you know, after after you get six outs with no hits, I'm like, oh, uh, hey, uh, what are we headed for here? But, it, you know, it's always on my mind because, to me, it's the most captivating thing that can happen in any regular season sports game. You know, a no-hitter is just that special. So when Ellsbury makes that catch in the fourth inning, I was already thinking that that could have been the, the one that saved the no-hitter and ultimately... Now, when you look back, it does serve as the signature play in that game. So that catch was really the start of me becoming a massive Colby Ellsbury fan, and that's one of the more unique takeaways I'd say I have from that game.
1: Yeah, and I think with every, you know, if you look at most no hitters, there's some really, really special play that that happens. It's funny I wrote, um, you know, with uh, with the lack of any sports really going on now, uh, I think a lot of us are are digging, you know, back into our past to try to. Uh, think about things that we remember fondly and I you know I was at um, I was at Derek Lowe's no hitter in 2002 and uh, Ricky Henderson actually was um, in center field uh, for the Red Sox that game and in the ninth inning he made uh, he made a pretty nice catch I mean it wasn't like spectacular or anything but it was basically like a shoestring catch and of course even at 40 you know, thousand years old, whatever he was, he could still, you know, he could still move. He was in great shape, but yeah, he made a great catch, and you find that in 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 the no hitters. You know, I, I I forget that one. The dude literally robbed a home run, and it was it was fairly recent. It was in the last five or ten years, I believe. And he and he went up and he went over the fence and he got. Uh, he, he, he brought it down, and, and that saved the no-hitter. So, yeah, you never know when it's going to happen, so you, you got to appreciate those defensive plays, especially when there hasn't been any hits.
0: Yeah, it does seem like there's always one. There's always one incredible defensive play and a no-hitter that ultimately you look back on and say that's, that's what really saved the day. Um, I, I also want to talk about the fact that this was the last no-hitter in Red Sox history. There hasn't been one since. It's been 12 years now. Um, since then, no-hitters have become more prevalent in the MLB than they ever have, and yet the Red Sox haven't had one since then. And, you know, in, in the five seasons from 2002 to 2006, there were only five no-hitters during that span. In the five seasons that followed, there were 16. So um, over triple. And in the five seasons that followed that, there were 23. So it went up <laughs> even more. So no-hitters were becoming less and less rare, and yet the Red Sox, apparently one of the best teams in baseball, have had zero since then. So, uh, just to give you the overall number, there have been 43 no hitters in the MLB since Lester's, none of which have been by the Red Sox. And I think that speaks to at least in part the pitching problems the Red Sox have had here for some time, and then becoming a team far more reliant on their bats than their staff.
1: Yeah, and I think you know if you look at the league-wide trend of you know the 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 analytic teams basically saying swing for the fences. You know what I mean? It's not. Um, it's not all about contact, um, or putting the ball in play. Uh, it's about, you know, swinging as hard as you can, trying to hit a home run and, and trying to, you know, put the ball out of the park. So I think, you know, that, that's affecting the rise in no hitters. I don't know if you agree with me on that one, but, uh, you know, strikeout rates are way up. And, um, as far as the Red Sox go, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think, You look at, I mean, who who are the stud pitchers they recently acquired since, um, you know, since John Lester's departure? Um, Of course, David Price and Chris Sale, and and, in Price has been, you know, hot and cold, and uh, Sale's been hot and hurt. Basically, when he's cold, he's been hurt. Um, So I think Sale's totally capable of doing it, but again, he's a power pitcher, so they they tend to have. you know, they tend to have trouble with no hitters because if anyone, you know, squares up on one, it, it, it's generally going to be hit back twice as hard. So um, but yeah, I think I think you're right on with uh, with the assessment of that is that they have, you know, their their pitching problems have been, you know, noticeable. You have a guy like Porcello, who's uh, really an on one year off one year type of guy and. Um, and it's really interesting because I, I wrote an article uh, a little while ago about, um, immaculate innings, which are, which are rarer than no hitters. And, um, I think Pe- the anniversary of Pedro's was a couple of days ago too. And, um, the red, Chris, Chris Sale, uh, and Porcello, uh, have, Sale has done it twice and Porcello's done it once, um, in the past couple of years. And that's even rarer than a no hitter. So it's, it's, it's just interesting how, uh, you know, that's that's wacky baseball and it's in there and it's stats and, and, and oddities. You know what I mean? But I do think I I do think the lack of no hitters is because of you know different approaches by analytic teams and the batters in the box. Just trying to, you know, mash the ball instead of put the ball in play or do, you know, smart hitting, move runners over and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know, because I do feel like this kind of uptick in no hitters happened a little bit before the analytics wave happened. I just, I mean, yep. I think it t- the timing doesn't quite work mm-hmm. perfectly, but I don't have a better answer. So, uh, <laughs> we'll, so we'll go with yours, but um, yeah, but, but Chris, <laughs> so the Chris Sale point I did want to talk about because it, it, I mean, he has, he was the guy that the Red Sox, it felt like they finally found their race. They spent years trying to trade for Felix Hernandez and get like one, one of the best pitchers in baseball. They, they spent so much time trying to do that and they finally get Chris Sale. And now he's on the injured list this, all this time. And, you know, they still don't have that guy. And I don't want to press this point too much because not every no-hitter is by a world-class pitcher. So it's not like I'm saying the whole reason the Red Sox have had this no-hitter drought is because they can't find that guy. But it still speaks to the whole idea that their pitching hasn't been up to the standard of the rest of the MLB or these great MLB teams. I mean, when you look at the list of teams that have thrown no-hitters, a lot of them are by the best teams in baseball. The Astros, the Dodgers, like they keep showing up on that list. Um, in recent years, so you know, th- there's some sort of connection there, and it-, it does speak to the fact that the Red Sox have failed here when it comes to consistently putting out a pitching staff that has multiple guys capable of doing that at least, and then you know, can one of them eventually breaks through? And I think that. You know, you can't just ignore the fact that pitching's been a huge problem here for the few, for you know, many years, and uh, the fact that there's some sort of correlation there. With hey, there have been 43 no hitters in this span. They've had a 12 year drought between no hitters. You know that it, it, there's some sort of connection there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've said it on my podcast before. I've I've written about it. I mean, the last, you know, to bring this kind of full circle, the last best homegrown pitcher, starting pitcher, the Red Sox had is John Lester. I am sorry but Clay Buckholtz was too erratic to to throw in there. He had his moments. He had his no hitter too. But um, you know, I just think that you know, Lester was a stud, um especially for especially for the Red Sox. I just think that um he fit in really well here. Um and he battled and you know, he wasn't he, he wasn't a, a, a an ace like a Sale or a, or a Pedro or something like that, but I just think his his his, his attitude and his persona and his in his work ethic um you know maybe not the chicken and beer year but generally speaking uh, especially in 2013 he was you know he was he was their number one guy so um and they really haven't had anyone like that since that's come through their ranks so there you go
0: and it's funny because actually during that span the red sox had back-to-back no hitters no one in the mlb threw a no hitter between clay Buckholz no hitter in 2007 and there's no-hitter in 2008, I right. just mentioned Ray Buckholz. And, you know, at that point, it probably felt like, wow, the Red Sox are really starting to become great at this developing pitchers thing, and then <laughs> nothing since. So, uh, you yeah. know, yeah, then- obviously it did not work out the way they wanted it to, but... I want to move on here. I do want to talk a little bit about Blake Snell's comments. Um, obviously, he said, I'm not going to play for a reduced salary. He said, I want, I want to get mine, stuff like that. Um, a lot of people were upset about those comments. What did you make of the comments? Did you take exception to any of them? And how do you think the MLB will handle this situation with its players?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it, it's tough for middle class America to, you know, swallow the fact that millionaires aren't are only going to make a couple of million instead of, you know, a, a, an obscene amount of millions. But, right. um, but to that point, it, it's just a, it's a whole different world, and it's a whole different level of of work, and it's a whole different level of of concentration and pressure and everything else. Uh, that these guys face that I don't face in my day to day life, really. I mean, I, I just don't. So, you know, I, I do understand where they're coming from. The, the only, where Snell's coming from, and I know a lot of the other players are thinking that too, but, you know, from my perspective, I think that what, what they're trying to do here is not get caught with their pants down. Um, in the future for, for whatever other reason. Does that make sense? So they don't want to set some sort of precedent now where, you know, they're not getting their full salary or something along those lines. I just feel like, um, it, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how much Snell feels about the, you know, the actual, cause he had mentioned something about he's, he's putting his life in danger. Um, and and again, you know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor and so I'm not going to really comment on who's susceptible to this. I, you know, he, you know, I don't know what his medical history is or anything like, or his family's medical history, you know? So, you know, I, I do buy that into it a little bit and that they want it safer, but I, I think the owners want money and the players want their money and it has to be, you know, it has to be. More about the players. The, the, the players' union is like the strongest union in America. So they're, they're not going to go back unless basically they're in charge. You know, um, that that's what I think. And that's why I, I do think there's not going to, I don't think there's going to be a 2020 baseball season. I really don't.
0: Yeah. You know, I think I look at the Blake Snell situation and I, I mean, I, I didn't take as much offense to it as everybody else did. I mean, everybody has a price, right? And uh, the reality is that a millionaire's price is going to be a lot higher than you or I's, right? So, so a lot of people say, of course, you should play for three million dollars. You know, of course, you or I would play for three million dollars. That's a life-changing amount of money to you or I, but to Blake Snell, it's not. He already has wh- however many million in the bank, right? So, um, it's just a little bit different in that regard. So, and if you're the MLB players, y- you have to draw the line somewhere. You're not going to play for zero. So, where do you, where you draw that line? is kind of up to them and you know where do you draw it at 500,000 at a million like you know you have to pick a place it's uh, you know ultimately and for Blake Snell he picked it you know at about 70 percent I'm not going to play for a 70 percent reduced salary and I I can't really knock him for that I mean that's just I I, you know I, I don't think that's incredibly unreasonable for Blake Snell to do I think the way he said it was you know a poor. I mean, he shouldn't have worded it the way he did. And it was kind of, it came off uh, certainly as kind of tone deaf, but the, you know, the overall message of, Hey, you know, I'm, a, I already have this amount of money. I'm not going to play for 70% reduced in my salary. That's just not what I, I, I don't need to do that. I don't knock him for that.
1: You're absolutely right. Because the other thing is we don't know what, you know, what kind of things these guys have money tied into. So, you know, if you, Settle for a lower salary. Well, you know, did you just buy a new house? Did you buy a second house? And I know, again, I know this, this is coming off as like, what are you, what are you guys talking about? Like we're just regular guys, but yeah, us regular guys, like, you know, I'm supposed to get a longevity check this year, right? I have plans for that check, right? If that check doesn't come through for me, you know, I'm in some trouble. So. I understand why they want it to be. I want, they want it to work for them. You know, I mean, if he's drawing the line at seventy percent, you know, maybe they could get maybe they could get it in for seventy five percent, eighty percent. Again, it's a compromise thing. It's it's billionaires fighting with millionaires, so it, it it's tough to to take a Relate step to you. right. It's tough to take a step back and and, and analyze it from a you know middle class America point of view. But hey, I wouldn't want to take a pay cut. You know that, but that's just me. So I don't
0: know. Yeah, especially when that's steep. I mean, nobody wants to do that. So yeah, and you make a great point there. That who knows what kind of plans Blake Snell had for his money and what his mortgage costs or whatever. And I know, like, like this is the same thing we just talked about, but a little tough to relate to. well I'm so you can't pay for your mansion. Boo hoo. You know, so that's you know not exactly something that you you don't. I'm not telling you to feel bad for Blake Snell. I'm just telling you what from his perspective. What he's saying might not be completely unreasonable. And on the other hand, if that's his only option, if the MLB says, well, fine, you're not going to play for 70% reduced salary, then you're not going to play at all, which I... I don't see happening, but we'll see. Um, you know, there's a clear better option for Blake Snell there, which is to play. So, you know, uh, something tells me that the better option between for Blake Snell between playing for $3 million and filing for unemployment is probably playing for $3 million. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think that at the end of the day, things will come around and they'll probably end up playing a baseball season. But I know you don't feel that way. Do you feel that way? More so because of the battle that's going on right now between the players and the owners, or just the state of the world.
1: More of a baseball-centric thing. I just think that, like I said, I ju- uh, you know they baseball right now they have an in- they have an inept commissioner. They have tone deaf owners, or maybe it's just the Red Sox <laughs> they have tone deaf owners. But you know, just the players' comments and uh, you know the strength of their union. Um, there's too much to iron out. You know, with these new divisions and, and the testing and, and what's going to happen here and, 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 and XYZ in the dugout and no spitting and you can't slap hands. I mean, every, every little thing is going to be, ha- have to be under a microscope. And I just don't think that, you know, baseball is going to be able to do it. I really don't. If they, you know, they said they wanted to start July 1st. Um, and have a spring training in June well June's June is uh, 10 days away here so I mean they got to figure it out by then and I don't think they will and I I think I don't think they're going to go into oh we're just going to play a round robin tournament in September I just in front of no fans that doesn't make any sense
0: yeah I mean look it is very complicated but it sounds like these leagues are motivated to do so and I know many people have brought up the idea that the MLB is even more so motivated because they haven't played any games yet. And so, you know, as where these other leagues have already made some money for their regular seasons, the MLB is not. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, you know, like you said, it's very complicated. There's a lot of things to iron out, but you know, it ultimately comes down to what, how motivated these teams are because, you know, I think you're right. You're right. are. It, they're, they're, it's super complicated, but it's not impossible. So if you want to do it, you should be able to figure everything out. And if there are a few mistakes along the way, so be it. I mean, it's not. You're
1: absolutely right. It's, it's, it, no one's, you know, no one in our lifetime has been through this before, really, you know, on this on this grand of a scale uh, where, you know, major, major things that we're used to as far as our lifestyles have stopped. Right. Restaurants and, and, and sports and and concerts and stuff like that and it's uncharted waters so you try to you try to get back to some semblance of normalcy and there's going to be mistakes along the way and then you got to correct those mistakes and learn from it and this is a perfect opportunity for baseball to regain some of the popularity it's lost over the past you know ever since Maguire and Sosa and all that stuff so i mean you know the, the 1998 which where you know it was at the, the height of its popularity for for you know, for many, many years. And then, you know, it, it, it's it's died down again. And this is the perfect time for baseball to, to, to pounce. And they're not on the same page, you know. So and they had they had more time than anyone to figure it out. Because like you said, this season hadn't it hadn't even started yet. So
0: and Mark, I was going to say there at the end of my last statement, I was going to say, if there are a few mistakes, it doesn't matter. It's not the end of the world. I'll actually, I, I do want to uh, hesitate to say that because it might be the end of the world. I'm not ready to commit. To <laughs> it, but it's definitely not. But, you know, uh, for the most part, I'm, uh, you know, who knows. But uh, I was wondering, Mark, since you are also a teacher, what kind of insight can you give us without getting any, into any sort of trouble as how, how schools approaching uh, our approaching potentially returning amid the coronavirus, if not this year, maybe next fall, and how you might envision that looking?
1: Well, preliminary, first of all, nothing is official. Nothing is not you know not even close. I mean, we've been doing uh, online learning. You know most of the state has been doing online learning. With a pass/fail type of situation, it looks different from school district to school district. But you know, we we've been using Zooms and Looms and uh, and Google Classroom, you know, to to connect with our students. You know, there's talk about you know, worst case scenario is that that continues into September, which would be which would just be absolutely horrible because um, you know, I'm a teacher and I have children, so I'm I'm teaching and then I'm teaching them. And let me tell you for a parent to do academics with their with their children that you know they look at us as you know we're home from work and it's you know maybe a, a half an hour of homework uh, a night but not 2 hours of instruction you know so that's been tough it's been stressful and that you know so that would be the worst case scenario is that we we have to continue this teaching from home which is just i mean that that's not the name of the game you know you want to interact with your students you want to be face to face. You want to uh, show your personality and 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 see them, and do group work and all that stuff. So it's it's definitely not ideal. And then another model is uh, to uh, go half days. Um, so you have half the student population in, you know, obviously for the morning, and then you have half the population come in for the afternoon, which is fine for the students, but it would you know that's still a full day for us, which is fine um it just limits the amount of people that are around each other but i mean the school i teach in has upwards of 1500 students so there's still going to be 700 students in one building and it depends on you know i don't know what the the numbers are for people in one place by by the you know by the time september rolls around because i i don't know what to believe in the news you you go to one Outlet, and it's one thing you go to another outlet, and it's another thing, you know. So, I really don't know what to believe. And, um, I don't know if it's getting better. I don't know if it's getting worse. So, but that would be, uh, that would be another model that would be probably, you know, I would, I would prefer that over the, over the first model. And you know I'm just I'm just hoping that uh, we can all get back in September and everything gets back to normal but that might be wishful thinking because I didn't think this was going to last more than a couple of weeks when it first started.
0: Yeah, tell me about it. I mean uh, that idea you gave me, the latter of those two ideas, that is the ultimate half measure of half measures. I mean, wow, that is I, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't like the sound of that at all. I just think it's it's kind of sounds ridiculous that you're bringing seven I mean ultimately when you're talking about numbers that big, what's the difference between having 700 kids in the school and 1500? I mean re- really I mean I, I don't see a huge difference there, but I don't want to get too deep into that. I do want to ask you just a couple more questions here. I mean it, it sounds like your answers you pretty much already answered this question by saying no, but have the zoom classrooms worked? Would you say it's been successful or unsuccessful?
1: The live zooms uh, have not been good. There's another – there's a program that my wife and I have been using, which is called Loom, L-O-O-M. <laughs> and what that does is um, it basically records your computer screen and you can talk over it and then they can see your face as you're talking into the computer if you want them to or else it shows an avatar. Mine, of course, is a Red Sox. But um, those those have been – much more effective because you're giving a lesson and they, and it's mandatory for the kids to watch it and and the kids have to comment on the on the lessons. You know that's been a lot more successful than than the zooms because you know sometimes you do the zooms or the Google Meets and you know kids are acting up. You know they're trying to be jokesters because they can see everyone's face and everything else, and so it's a little bit distracting at times. When you're just doing a regular lesson, it's it's a lot better because. You're concentrated on the content, and you're not concentrating on them, and they're concentrating on the content, and they're not concentrating on you know the kid who's downing a uh, you know two liter bottle of Dr Pepper in you know 14 seconds, which which is um. a tr- which is a true story by the way, it happened to me.
0: <laughs> um, and then I want to end it here with this, which is something I'm actually might write about in the next couple of days here, which is could you see these zoom meetings and you know bloom or whatever uh could you see those classroom ideas potentially being a replacement for snow days in the future which is by the way something i would have despised as a kid but as i think about it now if it becomes a way to kind of you know not totally replace but you know step in for a regular school day could you see one off day every now and then again in winter where it's like hey don't come into school it's too snowy hop on the zoom and we'll have class there today. Could you see that being replacement or is that maybe too complicated to switch just for one day? That's is for It's one thing for an extended period of time when you have to, but is it too much for that one day switch?
1: No, this, I mean, this is something that, you know, we're in, we're having discussions about basically, you know, and this is a great, we were having discussions about that anyway, before coronavirus was a thing. Um, because we do have so much technology at our fingertips now as teachers. I mean, I haven't, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, an old man or anything. When I, when I first started teaching, I, I had a, you know, I literally was on a chalkboard and I had a V, you know, a VCR <laughs> rolling it in. And I'm telling you, I haven't been teaching that long. So, um, the, you know, how far we've come is is crazy. So we've been talking about that anyway and looking into that. I mean, if you want my personal opinion tacking on five extra days at the end of June, regardless of, you know, how many days they miss. So we have a maximum, I believe, of five snow days that we're allowed to make up. Uh, the final schedules don't change. Nothing changes. So then then you're just in babysitting mode and you're, you know, it has nothing to do with learning. I guess that's my point. Right? Because the kids have checked out, the teachers have checked out. We're all tired. We all want to go to the beach. So um I think I think that will be the wave of the future where we're gonna be doing those uh online lessons in some capacity uh moving forward.
0: Wow. All right. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Um and guys remember to check out Mark on Twitter, at Chikaris. Check out all of his work and his podcast for more time. That is loaded on Landsdown. Head over to iTunes. Be sure to subscribe. And Mark, thank you for making the time.
1: KJ, appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon.
0: Absolutely. Okay, guys. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at KJJBS. Follow the pod for African Smart Pod. Check out everything over at Guyboss Boston Sports. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week.